Hello, and welcome to another episode of Future of Tax, the KPMG podcast series for tax leaders. For today's episode, I'm joined by Gabriel Kurt, Head of Trade and Customs at KPMG in Germany, and Stephen Brotherton, Principal Global Export Controls and Sanctions Lead at KPMG in the US. And we discuss the latest developments in export controls and sanctions in an increasingly complex world. Steve and Gabriel, thanks for taking the time to join me on the phone today. With new emerging technologies, increasingly complex supply chains and an ever-changing political landscape, compliance teams have a lot to manage when it comes to trade and customs. So Steve, to kick off our conversation today, could you first describe how global export controls and sanctions have changed in the last few years? I think it's helpful to, to look at export controls and understand how things have really evolved within the past few years. Traditionally, export controls have been focused on particular lists and whether you're dealing with controlled items. And some of these lists are pretty archaic and haven't really changed to accommodate technology over time. What we've seen over the past few years is really an aggressive movement to evaluate those technologies that should be controlled, that are being developed in research and development and other aspects. And there's also been a greater focus on how these technologies and, and other items are being used. Um, so we're seeing controls around new technologies as well as controls around in use. Some of those are playing out in particular, particular as it relates to China. And we've seen the U.S. take a number of measures as it relates to China to control things like military in use and really expand the controls and look to what parties are, do, are, are doing with items that they're receiving within China. So we're seeing that play out not only in the U.S., but also on a global scale. Thanks, Steve. And, and Gabriel, can you give us a European perspective? What we see here from the European Union is that um, the rules get more and more stricter and more tighter, and we have a lot of, let's say, bylaws and guidelines how export controls has been controlled more strict. Plus, uh, as we have a lot of many uh, companies all over the world doing international work, it's, it's always um, hard to follow all the newest developments all over the world. And um, sometimes we even see that um, what just Steve mentioned about um, new technologies is not really, um, the, the companies are not really aware of it. So there are a lot of hidden actions, hidden tasks, hidden things that need to be uncovered. And this is um, for most of the companies quite difficult. Thanks, Gabriel. Steve, can you give us some background as to why export controls have been getting a more important role in the last few years? Well, a few things really stand out. One is, you know, there's there's continued enforcement, and in some of those cases are, are really quite significant um, as it relates to the fines and penalties. We've seen things like, you know, fines can be, at least from the U.S. perspective, can be over $300,000 per instance. And even if there's potential fines and penalties, these are, these are the types of things that might require some type of SEC reporting or disclosures in financial statements. This is becoming a little bit, a little bit more in focus from not only the export compliance professionals, but, but really finance professionals um, as well. But then you get into things like um, understanding about emerging technologies and what is the potential for control, what the supply chains look like, where you might be running into parties that might be on a government restricted party list and prohibits you dealing with with some of those uh, players and all of these things are having a more significant business impact so when you when you have a one of your largest customers that you may not be able to ship to anymore because it's uh, the US government has 
prohibited exports to that, that particular party, that has a real big business impact. Then it creates questions as to, well, how else is export controls impacting it? Real need to look at the entire chain from R&D through, through delivery to support, understanding the implications. Absolutely, and I would like to emphasize again that uh, the matter of reputation is very important because if companies are blacklisted, they are blocked off any kind of business, yeah? and it doesn't mean if it's only export, it could also be imports and all other things. So uh, the reputation, the, the, the primary, the secondary sanctions, whatever can happen is so impactful, as just Steve said, companies are taking it more serious, plus we see in, in, in market that it's more public what is happening at the moment. So if you see what kind of big names already have been sentenced or punished, what kind of violation they did, this is also something where where other competitors or companies from the same industry get a pre-warning or pre-alert of. And I believe that this is something that, that the um, uh, yeah authorities would like to, to drive into the market, yeah, to make sure that everyone is, is following the rules and that there are consequences behind it, especially for for the businesses and for the people that are acting. Steve, how are you seeing compliance teams struggle with export controls and sanctions? Some of the new restrictions um, from a U.S. perspective have been ambiguous and, and make it very difficult to determine whether you might require U.S. government approval prior to dealing with a party, particularly as it, as it relates to China specifically around the definition of military in-use and whether you're providing items that that may be destined to a military in-user and understanding where that, whether the party in China is a military in-user is creating quite a bit of confusion, and we're seeing teams struggle with that. But more holistically, it's still some of the more traditional issues, such as where do we have export-controlled technologies? Um, where, where are those located in the, co- the company? How do we continue to evaluate those? And being able to touch base, uh, not just ju- deal with it from a more export and logistics perspective, but really getting embedded into R&D in the front of the business, understand whether you may be dealing with uh, technologies that are subject to increased controls. Yes, absolutely correct. And um, to to follow on that training of of people that are directly involved, people that are indirectly involved is is very very important in real life because we we see in a lot of cases that people are not aware of the real regulations, are not aware of that they are doing something that is happening in the export control areas. I mean, for us experts, it's sometimes hard to to identify this, but especially. Um, the knowledge sharing, the information sharing is something that compliance teams are lacking of in order to do the right evaluations and the right judgments with, within their um, processes and procedures that they have. So let me repeat it again. Training, getting the right people on board is, is one of the biggest pieces that, that you need to take care of as a compliance team in order to, to be ready and to ensure that export controls and sanctions are correctly performed in the company. Of course, plus having robust procedures in place, having the right technology in place to support you. But at the end of the day, if the people do not know what they do, like in other areas as well, then you're running into a wall. How are you seeing teams solve some of these export control challenges? It goes back to some of the traditional areas that we've that we've seen work well with this focus on continually evaluating your people, your process, and your technology. So looking at do you have the right level of people that that are required to understand these these technical requirements and, and 
execute what needs to be done on a global basis? Do you have the right the right processes to identify where you might run into export controls or sanctions? And ultimately, are you supported by technology that will allow you to do automated screening or or help um, automate some some of your compliance processes? And and then it gets into other things like um, you know potentially how those technologies might might uh, use AI and and other um, robotics processing and and uh, other more recent um, technology and innovations. Gabriel, the other things that we see um, in the market to support uh, teams to solve these kind of challenges is some of the companies are using outsourcing, pro, uh, pro, doing outsourcing and using providers for let's call it managed services because I mean what just Steve said you need to have technology but at some point there will be some kind of hits for example and then the question is how to to solve these kind of hits and to follow them and sometimes it's a manpower issue and therefore it, it makes sense to outsource some of these tasks in order to make sure that you still comply with the law and not only have a machine show telling you hey there is a hit and then you let it go so therefore it's very important to understand what kind of options you, you might have as a company in order to make sure how you can get um, the right the right support and uh, I mean it's fully true what, what Steve just said um, but to be very clear some of these kind of procedures, some of these kind of training measures that you need or the tools, depending on the right quality of data, are depending on the accuracy of data that you have in the system and the complete. So be very careful of, yes, okay, I have a nice uh, sanction tool, but make sure that this is covering all kind of procedures and processes that you have in your company because we unfortunately see very often um, in the common practice that things are happening bypassing the systems, bypassing the normal procedures, and therefore you should always have a look and emphasize what is what is happening uh, around the, let's say, sunny weather process. So make sure of how do you catch any kind of yeah, let's call it like it is, performer invoices or performer businesses or where you have any dummy numbers in your systems, if you have samples that you send around. So these are all the nitty-gritty stuff that you also need to be aware of or indirect shipments, for example. And sometimes the, the systems and the procedures are not that accurate in order to to help the companies to to identify these kind of yeah, violations and the compliance regulations. Steve, have you seen any compliance teams uncover hidden opportunities while solving these export control challenges? One thing that can happen with export controls is um, it's focused on instances where the government, you may need government permission to undertake some type of dealing or transaction with a with a party. And what can happen is that a compliance group may take the position that, well, if, if something is uh, if there's a requirement, it means that you can't, in fact, do that transaction whatsoever. Where we've seen a number of, of um, opportunities arise is actually taking the position that, well, if we, if we need a government authorization, well, let's go ask for it. And this is uh, extended to even where, you, uh, where governments, particularly U.S. government, has, has placed large companies on um, what we call the entity list, which requires um, permission to export to that uh, particular party. In some cases, we've seen clients or companies ask for very large um, export licenses to undertake those dealings, some of them greater than a uh, billion dollars, 
and the government granting those permissions. Um, so really looking at it as how can we as a compliance function not only identify the requirements, but then go and work with the, the government to ask for permission. And in some of those cases, it has really, really paid off um, for the companies to, to take that view. And, and then we hear from other companies who say, well, we understand that this company is doing business with this party on the list. How could that be? We've, we've cut off all of our business. Well, it's, it's because they didn't go and ask for that um, permission. Now, of course, sometimes it will be denied, um, but, but looking at how can we maybe work with the government to, to get authorization is, is certainly one um, opportunity. But, of course, you need a good compliance system. This goes back to, to, to understand it, understand what the requirements are. You need, need the right people to be able to know where you can seek authorization and then work with the business to um, execute on that. Further to that, uh, what we sometimes also see is when we are um, doing these kind of uh, risk assessments and, and, and health checks, uh, we also have a look into the supply chain. So um, there are um, opportunities that you can identify while you're taking care of export controls in terms of how maybe to streamline the supply chain. And especially here in the European Union, there are some, some easements uh, in order to shift goods from one uh, member state to another member state. So I, I believe that um, a lot of things that we do in the export controls area is also linked to the supply chain, and then you can uncover um, other opportunities, plus what, what uh, was just mentioned about um, opening up business, yeah, if you have the right licenses uh, in place, uh, but also to streamline processes to maybe allocate parts of the business into one company in one country in order to make sure that only this company uh, has uh, the, the applicable license in place and you do not need to have two or three or four entities in different countries uh, using that. So I believe there are good good options in having an efficient supply chain in place in order to support also the export controls regulation compliance. Steve, how are you seeing emerging technologies drive export control topics? and the EU and, and other governments looking at um, the new emerging technologies and establishing controls around those technologies, it really has uh, an impact in, in a couple of, uh, of areas in particular. We've seen uh, quite a bit of interest in life sciences as to how uh, potential controls around gene editing software may be um, applicable to their business and whether there may be other biotech-related controls that are coming, uh, such as with uh, equipment that's used in manufacturing or other areas where there may be uh, a number of additional controls, such that items today that aren't controlled may be controlled tomorrow. Um, another area we've seen is around quantum computing, and there's, there's really a, a, a number of te technology areas like this where industries may be dealing with something today that's not controlled, but, but tomorrow it will be. So this is creating quite a bit of, of discussion and topics uh, around um, going back to what Gabriel mentioned around risk assessments and understanding the business and what technologies you might be working with, what areas might be controlled in the future, and how you need to, to evaluate those areas and understand how it could impact the business in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So new emerging technologies, sometimes if I look at it from the EU perspective, it's like, like a test lab at the moment. <laughs> There's a lot of try and error. 
there there are a lot of unclear things about the definitions about when when are we talking about um, relevant emerging technologies. And then again, if you go back to a more global view, the question is how does this fit with any kind of definitions that we see in the U.S. or in China? At the end of the day, I believe that this is the future of export controls besides, let's say, the basic stuff that we are looking into, but how research and development will work in the future, how we are using all the nice technologies like AI and all this kind of stuff depends on the question of how much is it restricted from an export control view and treated like an emerging technology. So I believe that we will have definitely in the next month and years a lot of discussions around around this topic. Steve and Gabriel, to wrap up, if you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice or a key message on this topic, what would it be? The key area to get ahead of of these issues is really conducting an ongoing risk assessment, Um, understanding where you may be running into risk within your technologies that you're, uh, you're dealing with, within your supply chain, within your customer base, understanding how this might impact the business. And and it's also something that we've seen the governments really start to focus on as well. It's expecting companies to have conducted a risk assessment. We're seeing from, from the U.S. regulators. I think we've seen it from the EU regulators as well. So really understanding how to conduct and, and then regularly um, evaluate your program to identify these risks. From my point of view, export controls should be always an end-to-end process that you should think through, especially when you look into the international supply chains. It's a very, very complex situation for these global players in order to manage uh, what does export control means from a U.S. perspective, from a new perspective, and now China coming up with, with their new ideas of export control. So besides the, the basic stuff that you need to take care of, I believe that in the future, this, this end-to-end thinking is something that we definitely need to, to build in because otherwise you are able to do business in one area but not in another area, another region. So export controls is and will be a global topic for, for many companies. Thanks, Gabriel. That's great. On behalf of myself and our listeners, I'd like to thank you and Steve for joining us on the podcast today. Join us again next time and please email us with any questions you have about today's episode at tax at kpmg.com. And we'd also love to hear from you with any suggestions you have for future episodes. Thanks for listening.